welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. As we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew, we remember the main purpose for which it was written to prove that this Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God. Recalling his many healings, his authority over demons, his control over nature, and the divine inspiration of which he spoke, Matthew is telling readers everywhere, this is the one they'd been waiting for. This is the one of whom the prophets foretold. This is the one. Of course, many in the first century struggled to accept that notion, including those closest to him. As Jesus visited his hometown, his own rejected him. As people saw him deliver a man from demonic influence, they told him to get lost. Even his own disciples the men that he had called to himself and commissioned for service, they weren't entirely sure who he was until his grand revelation on the Sea of Galilee. That's why he came to them walking on the water so they might better appreciate his true identity. Not a ghost, not an apparition, not an aspiring politician or a military general. No, when Jesus came to them in the midst of the storm, he says, Tharseo egoimi mephobeo. Fear not, I am. In the same way, Yahweh identified himself to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus says to his disciples, Egoimi, I am who I am, here to rescue you from the domain of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of the beloved. And after hearing those words, we are told that those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Oh, they're just now beginning to understand who Jesus really is. And as we continue our study this morning, uh, we hope to learn even more about why he came. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14. And follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 34. Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the man of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God 
for the sake of your tradition. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. The man. May God bless the reading of his word. Just as the disciples struggled with spiritual dullness at times, missing the true significance of Christ's ministry, we often miss the point of following Jesus as well. Getting caught up in the outward display of our faith rather than focusing on the internal condition of our hearts. It was a problem among the ancient Israelites, a problem for the Jewish Pharisees, a problem in the early church, and a problem for her modern counterpart. So how do we combat this tendency toward the external? Well, by asking ourselves the same questions that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago. First, he wants you to consider that you are more interested in a healed body or a healed soul. We'll take a look back at verse 34. When they had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, they came to land at Nazareth. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his coat and as many as touched it were cured. That is remarkable to think of the great compassion that is on display here as Jesus and his disciples make their way into the town of Gennesaret. No doubt the people recognized him by this point in his earthly ministry. And as we have seen before, his reputation preceded him. So much so that the people ran about the countryside in a flurry of activity to bring the sick and hurting to meet him. 
It's reminiscent of the woman suffering from that 12-year-old hemorrhage who ignored social protocol in order to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, believing that at the slightest touch, she might be healed. And as that woman reached for Christ among the chaos of the crowd, she was made to realize that what 12 years of medical advice, doctor's visits, and homemade remedies could not cure, the power of God had healed in an instant. Indeed, she was physically cured from her decade-long affliction. But the greater blessing came as she lay prostrate before Christ's feet, confessing her sin before the Lord. While it was no doubt his garment that healed her body, it was her, his grace that healed her soul. And these people on the western shoreline, they're scurrying about, desperate to have their ailing family and friends made whole by the miracle worker from Nazareth. And I suppose it is with good reason. Already, Jesus had proven powerful over paralysis, leprosy, deformity, and death. Already, he had exercised demons, fed the hungry, and raised the lame to walk. It's no wonder the sick were doing anything they could to get themselves to Jesus because he's the only one who offers them a cure. And we might credit those folks for having faith in Christ's ability to heal them, but I have to wonder if their enthrallment with Jesus is limited to that quality alone. Surely he is the great physician but he's a whole lot more than just that huh now i've been asked a number of times over the years why jesus chooses not to heal every person who calls upon his name sometimes that question comes from a place of curiosity sometimes from a place of criticism but either way you want to know why jesus doesn't promise physical healing to every single person who claims to him was because if that were the case everyone would flock to Jesus as a means to an end and their souls would remain all the while accursed I mean that's one of the problems with the prosperity gospel come to Jesus and be healed Come to Jesus and be rich. Come to Jesus and have all of life's problems instantly float away. He's not a magic genie, friends. In fact, Scripture will tell you that coming to Jesus makes life here harder, not the other way around. The crowds lining the streets in Gennesaret had to be in the thousands, perhaps even in the tens of thousands, all coming to get something from Christ. Some came in faith. Others came for favor. And it's exactly what we find in the church still today. So, how about you? Why have you come to Jesus? Why are you here 
today. So God will give you something? God will owe you something? Or so you can worship, revere, and show your affection for his son, Jesus, knowing that his work in your spirit trumps any other cure that he could ever possibly pronounce. As one theologian remarked, Jesus can be sought anywhere, anytime, by anyone who is in need. And surely they will be blessed. But if it is only a physical cure they seek, they will have missed out on the greatest of his miracles in exchange for a helpful but infinitely lesser prize. Are you there? Jesus wants to know if you are more interested in a healed body or a healed soul. He also wants to know if you're more interested in pure hands or a pure heart. Take a look back at verse 1 now of chapter 15. Then we are told some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, to understand exactly what's going on here, it behooves us to explore this custom of hand-washing in greater detail. You may recall our discussion a couple months ago about the Jewish practice of shaking dust from their feet any time that they had been exposed to the filth of a foreigner. Well, in that practice, not only did they shake off their sandals to remove some dirt, They were symbolically distancing themselves, separating themselves, being rid of those other lesser people, pronouncing a judgment against their pagan beliefs. Well, this hand-washing is the same idea in a different form. That's what Mark points out in his parallel account. Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around. They had come from Jerusalem, Mark writes. It seems some of the disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, in particular, they do not eat unless they first cleanse themselves. And there are Many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Anything that might have been contaminated by those who are considered spiritually unclean. That's what this Pharisaical tradition is all about. After rubbing shoulders with Gentiles in the marketplace and bartering back and forth with the likes of heathens, the Jewish people would ceremonially wash all of their ungodliness off of their hands. Some went even a step further and immersed their entire bodies in the water to clean off the filth of the market, the filth of secular society, the filth of those Gentile people. 
I would tell you it's generally a good idea to wash your hands before you eat supper. Some of you even have those kinds of rules in your own household, particularly if you have small children or grandchildren running about. It seems to be a prudent exercise. But as with so many of the Pharisees' regulations, the practice wasn't the problem. It was the purpose, the mark. They weren't concerned about getting a little dirt in with their food. They weren't pushing hand sanitation for fear of germs. They thought the washing of hands brought them spiritual purification. So, in theory, they could do whatever they wanted to do, say whatever they wanted to say, just so long as they performed this ritual afterward, then they would be pure in the eyes of God. Now, a thing like that is fairly easy to condemn when it's pointed out in Scripture. But do we not do some of these same exact things? I mean, we gossip, deceive, cheat, steal, slander, corrupt, and fornicate, and then we're appalled when a family member forgets to say grace at dinner. As though that 10-second prayer at mealtime would cover the past 24 hours of our sin? That's not the way it works. And I'm pretty sure that's Jesus' point here. That he would say to us the same thing as he did them. People of faith, you've missed it. How in the world will clean hands help you if your heart is still covered in filth? That inconsistency is the main problem that Jesus addressed among the religious leadership of his day. It's a problem he identifies very clearly down in verse 7 as hypocrisy. Saying or performing one way in public where people can see it, but living some way different internally when you're on your own. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, don't pray on the street corner for everyone to see if you're not praying also when you're alone. Don't put a sad face on when you're fasting to gain attention. Then go home and eat whatever you want. Don't wave your tithe money up in the air, begging for attention, and then begrudge the fact that you gave it when no one else is looking. It's hypocrisy. And just as he warned the Pharisees against such things in first century Galilee, so he would warn us the same way today. Don't claim Jesus in here if you're ashamed of him out there. Don't sing, I give it all to you, Jesus, and then rob God by withholding your offerings. Don't raise your hand and worship Sunday morning, then act as though Christ doesn't exist the rest of the week. It's hypocrisy. Charge of the unbelieving world against the 21st century church. Now, as pastors in Liberia said to me many years ago, our people do not want to hear your sermon or listen to your claims 
unless they can see them in you too. Right? The Pharisees and the scribes accused Jesus saying, why do your disciples break our tradition and eat with impure hands? Jesus says, that is not the main problem here. (laughs) You are a people who honor me with your lips, with your rituals, maybe with your hands, but your heart is so very far from me. And because of that, Jesus repeats the prophecy of Isaiah, which is found very true in this case. Because of that, you worship in vain. That was the indictment of the first century Pharisees. Is it true of your worship? Do you worship in vain because it's just words? It's just rituals? It's just routines? It's just the thing that you've always done? Jesus is very, very clear on this point. If your manner of living is incongruent, inconsistent, incompatible with your profession of faith, then stop worrying about the pomp and the ceremony. Stop trying to look good in front of other people. Stop with all of your religious activities that are designed to impress and ask God to change your heart. Yeah? have to start examining your walk with Christ. You got to ask some difficult questions. Are you more interested in a healed body or a healed soul? Are you more interested in pure hands or a pure heart? Are you more interested in the traditions of man or the commandments of God? Take a look back at verse 3 where Jesus answers the accusation of the Pharisees with an accusation of his own. Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition, he wonders. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say... You say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. By this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. As it turns out, the washing of hands was not the only practice instituted by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the elders. Now, there were any number of additions, to God's law, amplifications of God's law, or as we see here, outright alterations to God's law that had become an integral part of Jewish tradition. To help the people appreciate the charge that he just leveled against them, Jesus cites one glaring example of a man-made regulation that they had elevated above the ordinance of Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Moses repeats the commandments of God to the nation of Israel, including the fifth command, where he said, 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Then one chapter later in Exodus 21 verse 17, we see the punishment prescribed for those who disobey. Moses said, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now for as much as we try to ignore that instruction, get around it this way or that, there really isn't much ambiguity in the statement itself. Honor your father and your mother or be put to death. That much seems pretty clear. And certainly the leaders of the Jewish faith who studied the scriptures every single day since childhood knew this command and the penalty attached to it. And yet, over time, they developed their own set of rules that they have now elevated above the authority of God's word. Instead of honor your father and mother no matter what, they created a loophole. Yeah, you know, it would be a good idea to take care of mom and dad. But you don't have to. You don't have to if you claim your property, your possessions, and your money as Corbin. That is, as a recognized gift to the religious community to be given at some point in the future. Yeah, Mom, Dad, you know, I am sorry. I would love to help you in your time of need. Now, I know God said I must honor you or there'll be consequences. And I recognize culturally it is my duty to provide for you as you grow old. But what can I say? My wealth is already spoken for. It's Corbin. And so I can't give you money now because I might give my money to the synagogue later. That sounds holy enough as do all of their other regulations. But by the time Jesus addressed the Pharisees in the middle part of the first century, the Corbin designation had become nothing more than a fraudulent scheme to help sons and daughters keep all of their money for themselves. In fact, according to their own tradition, a person could use Corbin for his or her own wanted to, just so long as they didn't give it out to anyone else. So, let me get this straight. In order to honor the Lord, maybe, eventually, with some of my possessions, I'm going to disobey his fifth commandment by shirking my responsibility to my folks. Is that how it's supposed to work? I mean, this is just one example of what was going on in the Jewish community at the time of Christ. And it's important that we realize these are not atheists or secular humanists that are trying to navigate their way around. These are well-learned, well-read, well-synagogued religious people abandoning the word of God in favor of man-made tradition, claiming piety as they do so. And sadly, that trend 
has continued from Judaism right into the Christian church. Consider the circumstances that preceded the Protestant Reformation. The Catholic papacy had become the authority in all things religious. So you want to find forgiveness? Never mind what Christ said on the subject. You have to pay for an indulgence, visit the apostles boned, attend seven straight services, and kiss the feet of the priest begging for mercy. What outraged Martin Luther and others was the groundless and yet all-consuming assertions of man that were allowed to supersede what God himself had put down in writing. And in a very real way, we are guilty of this same thing ourselves. We take the thoughts of man, the traditions of our forefathers, the insights of philosophy and the claims of science, and we elevate them above scriptural teaching. Don't get me wrong on this. There is nothing inherently bad about tradition. But there is a huge problem with viewing that tradition in any way on par with what God himself has said. That's what the Pharisees had been doing to the point where they were willing to dismiss biblical truth altogether for the sake of their own customs and teachings. But friends, we must never allow our affection for any of that to compete with our affection for God's word. Because when we do, I will no longer be worshiping at the altar of Yahweh. We will be worshiping at the altar of the human mind. As Warren Wearsby advised, we must constantly beware lest tradition take the place of truth. It does us good to continually examine our church traditions in particular in light of God's word. And we must be courageous enough to make changes on our side whenever necessary. Are you there? We must never favor a healed body over a healed soul. We must never put more stock in pure hands than a pure heart. We must never elevate the traditions of man above the commandments of God. Because as Jesus teaches us in verses 10 through 20, true purity is always measured internally, not externally. After all the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. The disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But Jesus answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain then the parable to us. 
Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand? Everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands, uh, that does not defile the man. Now this is such an important principle for us to understand. Especially those of us who love to run quickly to the tangible. Man, I want a God I can see. I want a God I can touch. I want a God I can measure myself against using a system of prescribed rules and regulations. Well, that would be easier, I know. But Jesus is teaching us what it really means to be a true disciple. It's not about washing your hands ceremonially before you eat. It's not about knowing the word of God well enough to find a loophole. It's not about a self-righteous external facade. It's about the righteousness of Christ transforming you from the inside out. For God sees not as man sees, friends. For man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And if the heart isn't clean, hear me on this. If the heart isn't clean, then nothing you say, nothing you do, nothing you wear or perform will ever make you clean. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He is not one of God's people who is one outward, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is one of God's who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but comes then from God. Folks, it is not another new ritual, another new ceremony, another new routine, another new church that we need. What we need is a new heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Giving evidence either of evil iniquity and wickedness that dwells there or giving evidence of a heart is all in on the person of Jesus Christ that's what Jesus is teaching when he says not what you put in it's what comes out because it's evidence of this we need our hearts to be transformed never mind the rituals
put aside the traditions. Focus here. And see God get all the glory right here with every move, with every thought, with every desire from a transformed heart. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful that you challenge us, that you teach us because every one of us to run toward those things that we can grab a hold of, those things that we can see, those things that are on display for others to see. And we perform and we put on a facade to impress other people thinking that it might impress you. The Lord, we're told very clearly here and a million other places in your word that you look past all of that to our hearts. Lord, may our hearts be right with you. Having been renewed by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might put away those deeds of yesterday and might pursue you with everything we've got. Lord, when we speak, may people see you high and lifted up because that's what our hearts would want to exclaim to them, that you are Lord over all things. Help that to be our testimony. Help people to see that. Help it to be very, very real within us that you would get all the honor and glory from lives and hearts that are indeed transformed. Do it and do it now, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org. 